So uh, for today, this is part one of It's All About the Message. Would you bow with me? Father God, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your grace and mercy, for Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection. I thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit, which you lavish on us, Lord, by grace through faith and through which we live. And God, today I pray, um, as I pretty much always pray, Father, that you will help each person here to be good soil so that the seed may go in and take root and bear fruit. I pray, Father, that none of us are stony-hearted, that none of us are, are uh, full of weeds that choke us out, that none of us have the word snatched away. Pray, God, instead that you will give us uh, the ability to engage and concentrate and, and to receive exactly what you would have us receive. And let it bring about the results you would have it bring about. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, well, I guess we'll begin reading in uh, verse 13. Okay? So, remember, this newly not lame guy is leaping around. Okay? And the crowd is, is obviously going to gather really quickly because this is happening. And, and this is what happened. Peter saw it and he addressed the people. Men of Israel... Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made this man walk? Now, I love this. Peter's first reaction to being the center of attention is to redirect the attention where it's supposed to go. Right? It's his first, his first job here is to say this is not where credit is due. It needs to go over here. And before we even get into his message, can, can we agree that this is, this is precisely what every Christian needs to do? We need to take the focus off ourselves and put it on Christ. Every Christian, each one of us, athletes, artists, musicians, theologians, everyone needs to realize it's all about the message, not, not the messenger. Okay? In fact, nothing, nothing that is important for you to hear for either your salvation or for your growth in the Lord is, is innate or is inherent to the messenger. Church, it is, it is more edifying to listen to a child simply reading out of the Bible than it is to hear a, a celebrity pastor give their opinion about something that's not firmly rooted in Scripture. It is often the least impressive people through whom God does his most powerful works. And, and I love the fact that Peter, he's, you know, this, this guy's a fisherman. You remember what they call him uh, later on? They, they say that they realized that they were common men. They use the Greek word idiotes. <laughs> I love that. You know, uh, they, they, Peter's just, he, he's, a, he's a plain dude. But here he is putting the message out there to change hearts. And I love what he seems kind of frustrated with the people. He's like, why do you wonder at this? Well, I mean, part of me goes, duh. <laughs> they just saw a crippled man given the gift of, of mobility. You know, he, he's, he is now a, what, what they call in the hospital a walkie-talkie, right? He's ambulatory. He was never able to do that before. He was lame since birth. That's kind of a big deal. But here's Peter. He's not relishing the spotlight. You know, he's, he, he's doing something else. In fact, he says, he says why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Now, I want us to hang there for a second, okay? Um, he specifies something that, that 
two areas that I think are important to note. And the way Peter says it, it clearly conveys that this is obviously not something that Peter and John were able to do. Okay, It wasn't by their power, meaning they, they didn't have the capability in themselves to heal the man. That's important. Okay, This, this wasn't a magic trick. Right? This wasn't the power of positive thinking. None of that kind of thing, right? Nor was it their piety. Now, that's a word we don't use a whole lot today. But in other words, they didn't perform a miracle because they were such holy dudes that God was like, well, y'all are such good people, I owe you one. You know, that's not how it works, okay? So he's saying it's not by our power. It's not because we're good people. He says that... The whole good people thing, that didn't even really exist. That's a whole other conversation for another day. But no one is strong enough or good enough to do something that only God can do. And so Peter, just right out of the gate, he's saying it's not about us. But if it's not about them, then it's about the message they bring, right? It's the only other option here. So, so what is the message? And th this is an important question. Because obviously the, the miracle that took place was intended to open the door for this message. Even Jesus told the disciples, he said, if you don't believe me, believe the works that I do. And that's, that's the point. The point of the miraculous signs that Jesus performed. It was never just about making physical bodies whole. It was about drawing attention to the greater reality of, of, of making our relationship with God whole again. That was the point. Okay? So the message starts with God. It always begins with God. And how could it not, right? I mean, God is the Alpha. He's the Omega, the beginning and the end. So the message always begins with him. And he draws attention to his good news for his people and for the world. Now, what is the word that we use as an equivalent term for good news? Gospel. The gospel. The gospel is God's good news. That's where we got our daughter's name, Evangeline, bringer of the gospel. And that is, that is the primary thrust of his, his message. You know, now, probably at least once a month, I try to remind all of us what two things comprise the good news. Do you remember what those two things are? Anybody? This is why I have to do this once a month, you guys. <laughs> Who Jesus is and yeah, good enough. What God did through Jesus. Yes, who Jesus is, what God did through him. Now, there's, of course, there's more to the gospel, but that is the gist. The good news tells us who Jesus is and what God did through him, which is what the apostle Peter was very quick to share with the crowd. So we're going to read them what Peter had to say. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised up from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now, guys, we're not going to spend the whole message on this because this, this has been a consistent theme, okay? But we dare not skip over it. All right. So I think sometimes we take the gospel for granted because we, we hear it so often, you know, but but there are also some who think 
that they know what the gospel is, but perhaps they don't know what the gospel is. And so that's why I really think it's important that we go over it because it's not just for those of us who have already heard it because we need to hear it. We do. You know that, I hope. We need to hear the gospel all the time so that we remember it, so that we recognize that we are saved by grace through faith, that we're forgiven our sins, but also for those who have never heard it or never understood it. Because the word says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. So, in this case, Peter and John are standing before uh, a Jewish crowd, okay? And the, the, the Jews have a very strong idea of what their long-awaited Messiah is going to look like. And so, Peter approached the subject in such a way that I, I think he was hoping they would catch on quickly. You know, and naturally, he starts with the common factor that the Christian Jews had with the rest of Israel— Yahweh, okay? Yahweh. And to be sure that they understood that, that he's talking about the same God that they had always believed in, Peter specifies the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. So they know who he's talking about. And then he says, glorified his servant, Jesus. Now I want us to pause there, okay? As, as Gentiles in the 21st century, we may not realize just how loaded a description that is. And we're about to get the fuller treatment of what it means that Jesus was glorified. But for right now, let's focus on what it means that Jesus is God's servant. What does that mean for the Jews? These guys would have been intimately familiar with both of the passages that we read this morning. Some of you were here, some of you weren't here yet for the, for the first one is Isaiah 42. And then most of you are here for Isaiah 53. In the former scripture, God refers to my servant as one who will preach the good news to the poor, give sight to the blind, set the captives free, yada, 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 right? In the latter, he refers to his servant as, he says, my servant that will make many righteous and bear their iniquities. Now, both of those descriptions fit one person really well. Who is that person? Jesus Christ. So Peter's audience would understand that God's servant was a, a name for the Christ, for the, the Mashiach, the Messiah. And so Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's, of God's servant, okay, in the scriptures. So the first part of who Jesus is, he is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah that the Jews have been expecting for centuries, he is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. And then Peter refers to him by two other titles in this paragraph. We're going to look at those really quickly. He calls Jesus the Holy and Righteous One and the Author of Life. Now, why are these titles so interesting, so important? I think, first of all, if, you, if you're going to refer to someone as the Holy and Righteous One, you're essentially calling that person God. Because this was not a common title. In fact, it only shows up here in all of the scripture, the holy and righteous one. At least in, in, for sure in the Greek, okay? And so, actually I should say for sure in the ESV. That's what I should probably say. Um, but, but that title is used only for Jesus. But both words, holy and righteous, are best properly applied to God. I mean, after all, in Isaiah 6, what do, what do the seraphims say when they're flying about the throne? What do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is the fullness of his glory. 
He's talking about God, the Holy and Righteous One. And by the way, uh, in Romans 3.10, quoting from the Psalms, Paul writes, there is no one righteous. He's referring to all of mankind. There's no one righteous, not even one. So that's kind of a big deal. We also have Jesus referring to the fact that no one is good except God alone. You remember this? When, when somebody says, good teacher, right? And he says, why do you call me good? And then kind of tongue in cheek. And nobody's good except God. Hmm? Hmm? No one is righteous except God. And secondly, to call someone the author of life, <laughs> that's, that's a little clearer, wouldn't you say? I mean, that's a pretty clear way of, of saying that Jesus is God again in the second person of the Trinity. I mean, because, as, as John's gospel states, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him everything was made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So that's in very powerful, clear terms. Peter's referring to Jesus as the Christ and also making him equal to God, which Jesus himself also did. That's why the Jews tried to stone him. In John chapter, uh, I want to say it was 8. Remember? So, so that, that's the first part of the good news here of, of God, who Jesus is. He is the Christ and he is God in the flesh. He's God the Son. But that's not the whole story. So let's keep reading. Um, I, I put the following in brackets because it, it basically, it's one big and very true accusation, okay? God's servant Jesus, he says, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. Remember that story, right? But you denied, there's that word again, the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. So once again, Peter is preaching a tough message to a potentially hostile crowd, but he's not pulling punches at all. Not at all. He is very boldly speaking truth, and this, this is the proof of God's spirit at work in him, providing that, that boldness to speak truth regardless of consequences. Now, in, in the recent past, we have discussed each human being's role in the death of Jesus. So I don't, I don't want to get too distracted with that today, but, but bear in mind that your sin, my sin, that is why Jesus had to die. Remember that. We are culpable in that. When Paul expounds on the meaning of the gospel by which you are being saved in 1 Corinthians 15, part of the indispensable truth is that Jesus died for our sins. And so we each, we each individually bear some of that responsibility for Jesus' death. But in the immediate context, okay, Peter is speaking to people, some of whom were in the crowd, shouting, crucify! Remember that, right? They were in that crowd. And Peter mentions the fact that Pontius Pilate was trying to release Jesus, but instead the crowd called for the release of whom? Barabbas. So when Peter says they denied Jesus and asked for a murderer instead, that's who he's talking about. Okay? He was denied. And, and not only that, but he was killed for a murderer. Now, quick question, church. Uh, who here is a murderer? Raise your hand if you're a murderer. Yeah, my hand is up. Think about it, guys. Didn't Jesus say a person who hates his brother has committed murder in his heart? Have you ever hated someone else? 
That may not be who I am anymore, but, but the Lord drew me out of the depths of my sin, and I, I know that I have had hatred in my heart towards a brother before. And so, so by the words of Jesus himself, I'm a murderer. If you've ever hated your brother or sister, you are a murderer. You've committed murder in your heart. Now listen, if you're, if you're wondering why I'm pounding this, it's because I want to nail shut the coffin lid on any sense of self-righteousness that any of us may be bitterly clinging to. Okay? We, we are all Barabbas. Every one of us. And Jesus took our place. Praise God. And folks, there's, there's a churchy phrase that we probably, we don't hear often enough that describes what happened here. Um, and, and what's it called when an innocent party suffers the penalty of a guilty party and the guilty party goes free? What's that called? Scapegoat, unjust, wrong. The churchy phrase, all of you are correct. The churchy phrase is substitutionary atonement substitutionary means taking the place of and atonement means paying the price owed okay so the price of sin is death that's what romans 6 23 tells us the wages of sin is death and worse it's separation from god the father and jesus who was the completely sinless son of god and god the son he paid the price for our sins when he died on that cross 1 Peter 2 says he bore our sins in his body as he hung on the tree. And John, 1 John 2 says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So, so even, though, even though Peter doesn't explicitly say that here, he does point to the fact that Jesus was condemned and a murderer was set free. What, what a powerful illustration of substitutionary atonement. What did God do? <laughs> In this glorious and, and, and terrible trade, Jesus died so that we could live. But again, not where the story ends, okay? Peter goes on. Whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. So, so what did God do through Jesus? On, on, top of, on top of giving him over as a sacrifice to pay the price for our sins, God raised him from the dead. Yes, <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. This is another indispensable truth, another pillar of the Christian faith. He rose from the dead, which provides a brilliant ray of hope to shine through the cold blackness of the grave. And in, in raising Jesus from the dead, the Lord gave proof that he is 100% reliable to do exactly what he promises. And he completely validated every single claim that Jesus ever made about who he was and what he could do. I mean, do you see how that goes full circle? What God did proves who Jesus is. There's your gospel in a nutshell. When Jesus rose from the grave, that, that also affirmed God's acceptance of, of his son as a perfect sacrifice. And then in defeating death, he proved himself as the way and the truth and the life, just as he said, and that he is the only way to the Father, just as he said. And the, the fact that, that, that he was seen by multiple eyewitnesses, more than 500 we read in, in 1 Corinthians, that, that's 
after he rose from the dead, being seen by all these people is just the icing on the cake, you know? I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been pointed out that one of the greatest reasons to believe in the resurrection is the fact that nearly every single one of the original 12 apostles died a horrible, horrible death because they refused to say it wasn't true. They knew it was true. They knew Jesus was alive. They had seen him. They had heard him. They had touched the resurrection Christ. They, they had watched him ascend into heaven together. They knew. And hey, I, I, know, that, I know most of us, the, these, these truths are already ingrained you know, in your mind. They're already engraved on your heart. And it's good to be reminded of them. But for others, I, I just want you to understand this. You may not have a solid understanding of these truths yet. But I want you to realize that, that this is the good news that Romans 1.16 calls the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. Who is Jesus? The Son of God, the Christ, who died for our sins, was buried, rose from the grave, was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses, and then ascended back to heaven where he waits to come back. That's powerful stuff. But the very next question is, what does that mean for us? How do we apply that to our own lives? And we're going to look at the next slide and see, see where Peter's sermon went from there. And we'll make some application. He says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And then there's a teaser from next week. You see the asterisk, the first two words of verse 19. We'll come back to that. I was looking through this part here, and I was praying for wisdom about how to convey it to the congregation, and I felt like the answer was to examine this paragraph through the lenses of faith, hope, and love, and how all three of those things point upwards to God's sovereignty. So we'll start with faith. Peter says, and his name, that's Jesus, by faith in his name, meaning, meaning Christ's power, his authority, his identity, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's kind of a reminder to the crowd. He's like, hey, y'all know this dude. Y'all know this guy. You've seen him every day for years. You know, they knew who he was. They, they knew the, the alleged hopelessness of his situation. But, but see, the man's faith in Christ resulted in his healing, in his restoration, in his strengthening, in, in his, his wholeness. This, this is a vivid physical picture of the fact that Jesus gives salvation through faith in him. Faith results in salvation through Jesus. In the, in the, in the case of the formerly lame man, you know, this, this salvation was of the body, although perhaps it was deeper than that. But, but for all those, for all those who put their faith in Christ, the result is salvation. You know, not necessarily of our bodies in this life. It doesn't mean everybody's going to be miraculously healed physically, but, but of our souls unto eternal life. And these bodies, are, they're not going to stick around anyway, are they? These bodies that we have right now, 
as, as awesome as they may be. No, I'm kidding. It's, you know, what, whatever, whatever shape you're in now, guess what? You young folks, live it up while you can, pal. <laughs> because you're going to fall apart like the rest of us before too long. These bodies are not going to make it into heaven because they are corruptible. And the word says that the incorruptible cannot inherit. I've said that backwards. The corruptible cannot inherit the incorruptible. We will get new bodies. Okay? Amen. Amen. Praise God. We will get new bodies. All right? These bodies aren't going anywhere except back into the earth. And we know. We know that we're going to be given new bodies when Jesus returns to claim his people. But in the meantime, okay, most of us are already past the best we're ever going to be, physically speaking. But spiritually speaking, for those who are in Christ, okay, we have the rest. It starts when you believe. Remember that. We have the rest of forever to enjoy growing in the Lord. Do you understand that? The rest of eternity. We have the rest of eternal life to continue growing in the Lord. And that's pretty awesome. But... It only applies to those who will come to him in faith. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other means other than faith. You can't be saved by being righteous enough, by being a good person. You can't be saved by following some other path or some other savior. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone by his grace through faith. Let's read on. Uh, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And I love this because th this is a reminder of the goodness of God and that nothing can stand in his way of accomplishing his promises for the good of his people. God cannot be thwarted. E even that horrible wretched injustice, the, the murder of the second person of the triune God. That was something that God used to bring life out of death and salvation out of condemnation. That's pretty amazing. But God can do that. God in his sovereignty can do that. Now, this is, this is such an amazing truth that God, in his power, in his goodness, he even works through our sinful disobedience. And that, friends, gives us hope. It does not excuse our rebellion. I want to just make that clear. It doesn't excuse your sin or my sin. Okay? The blood of Christ covers it. But we still may have to deal with consequences of it in this life. We're still responsible for the consequences of our sins in the next life, too, unless we receive forgiveness from the Lord through Jesus Christ. But the wonderful thing is we've already got it. We have forgiveness if we turn to him in faith. What, what, did, what did 1 John say? It's not just for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. The forgiveness is out there, amen? It's out there. It needs to be received. It only, it's only received through faith. And 
the wonderful thing here is, is that we have forgiveness when we turn him in faith. But I want to be clear that I'm not talking about serendipity. Like, you know, like, whoo, it sure is good that, that God can turn our lemons into lemonade. You know, that is not what I'm saying. Listen, God, he is large and in charge of what happens in the universe. He is sovereign. Everything good that comes out of our wickedness is entirely due to God's mercy and grace. And it's been a part of the plan since literally day one. Remember, the lamb slain from when? The foundations of what? The world. The foundations of the world. It's not plan B. The scripture says Jesus is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. So, so through Peter's words, we are given, we're given a, a revelation of, of the character of God and how great he is. Right? Not how great we, you know, not, not how great we are, not how great you are, not how great I, how great God is. And that is how we get to the subject of his love, okay? And our love in response. And, and as we've seen through the very act of sending Jesus to us, God's love saves. Okay? The Lord is salvation. His love is truly an extension of who he is. Remember the Apostle John again, his first John, he says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, so that's, that's what God's love does. It saves those who cannot save themselves. And it does that at great personal cost to God himself. So, what does our love look like in response? Church, our love obeys. This is what Christ said to his apostles in John 14, 15. It's, it's really a pretty simple concept. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I'm going to say that part again. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> so you've got to ask yourself, if I say I love Jesus, am I being obedient? I mean, that, that is our greatest way of expressing our love for the Lord, knowing, knowing, knowing what all he's done. Knowing what he's done for us, and not just that, but who he is. He is worthy of praise. But knowing who he is, knowing what he's done, then, then we show our love for him by doing what he says. And how do we know what that is? We read his word, right? We read the Bible, and then we obey the commands that we, that we know and that we understand, and as we grow in faith, then he helps us to grasp his will better, and then we become more obedient. And that's what's really cool about this. The more you do it, then the more you enjoy it. And the more that you, you understand how amazing it is that he loves people like you and me. He loves us so deeply and so perfectly. And it just increases our desire to obey him more. So one last thought. Okay, um, just a quick thing, but vastly important. Going back to that last paragraph, Peter said, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. This ties into what Christ asked of the Father from the cross. Do you remember? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? He asks that the Father would forgive his own murderers because they didn't know what they were doing. But even so, they still needed to repent, therefore. There's your teaser for next time. Repent, therefore. Listen, next, next week we are going to dive into the blessings 
that come re- with repentance as well as the necessity of it. That's, that's important too. But this week, I'd, I just want to tack this on at the end of the message. Church, family, believers, listen to me. Do not sin intentionally. Don't sin on purpose. Don't do that. Do I need to say it another way? Can you guys nod or something? Can, are, do you understand what I'm saying? Don't sin on purpose. If you know it's wrong, don't do it. If you know there's something you ought to be doing that's right, do it. Please don't ignore this truth. God's mercy is lavished on the ignorant. But those those who know better, he is more likely to discipline with a harsh hand because we have the truth and we're refusing to walk in it. To knowingly intentionally practice sin with an unrepentant heart is spiritually destructive to the point of endangering our souls. You must understand that you may end up searing your conscience. The more seared your conscience becomes, the less sensitive you are to the Spirit of God speaking. That is cranking up the squelch. That's saying, I don't want to hear what you have to say, God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Love Christ by obeying the truth that you've been given because the the alternative is to hate him by rejecting his words. Do you understand that? If you're not loving him by doing what he says, you are actively hating him by rejecting his words. You may not agree with me on that. I don't care. We can argue about it later. I think that's what scripture teaches us. Okay? I know it sounds... So, so very black and white, but that's because it is. It's black and white. What did Jesus say when he was talking to the people who didn't believe in him? He said, you are of your father who? The devil. He said, if you knew me, you'd be children of my father. As it is, you are children of the devil. That's pretty black and white. Don't sin intentionally. Try your best not to. That doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. We are all going to continue to sin from time to time until we die, but let's not do it on purpose. Let's not dive into it. Let's, if we're going to fall into it, okay, we, we can fall, but let's not dive. Okay? Don't sin on purpose. Turn away from intentional sin, both because you must and also because the blessings of doing so are so immeasurably great and that's what we're going to get into next week. I know sometimes it comes, you're like, oh, Mark's talking about repentance. It's going to be doom and gloom. Let me tell you, there's some great stuff associated with repentance. Please come back next week. I don't want you to just hear this part of it. I want you to hear the next part. Please come back next week. Okay, now, if, if you have never trusted in Christ for your salvation, the fact is you can't follow him. You can't walk in the light because you don't have his spirit living in you and enabling you to do so. But this morning, you have the opportunity to receive the blessing of being a child of God. That is good news. That is good news. You can be with Jesus forever. So what, what I want to, to, to offer this morning, and I'm not offering this. I mean, God's the one who offers it. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, but you've not taken the steps that God absolutely commands of us to do, which is confessing that faith, being baptized, you know, the, the word baptizo, immersed in water. We, we heated up the baptistry last night. 
So it's ready to go today in case anybody is feeling that, that, that calling. If you've not been baptized, do what the Lord says. 